Hi everyone, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the following podcast belong solely to the host and its contributors. They are not necessarily the views of our employers, organizations, committees, or other group or individual. Hi, I'm Joseph Whitney. And I'm David Campbell. Welcome to Brewing with BIM. Where we talk about construction technology, processes, and beer. Well, David, man, uh, today's a, a very special episode of Brewing with Bam. It is. It is. Um, and I think it's uh, it's a good move that we did it on today of all days. Uh, being Super Bowl Sunday, we got to talk about the reigning champ of Bim. I definitely agree. I agree. All right. Uh, for those of you guys that uh, are waiting in suspense, it's Rabbit, obviously. Uh, <laughs> in the title of the podcast, but <laughs> um, today we're going to be talking about Revit. Uh, David and I wanted to take a step back, talk about some of the core pro- programs that we use when uh, adopting BIM processes, uh, mostly from the design as well as the uh, um, uh, leveraging the data downstream side. And uh, today is the day where we are talking about Revit. Um, and for those of you, you know, diehard, you know, BIM is not a software, it's a process, blah, blah, blah. I agree. I get it, guys. But you have to start somewhere. So we need a model. We need information in that model. And Revit is, is a great tool for us to get there. So uh, as we dive in today, we're going to be talking about you know the history of Revit, maybe a little bit of trivia here and there. Um, and then we're going to talk about some of the core functionality. Uh, obviously, we're going to go through cost of adoption. And uh, I'm sure David's got some advanced uh, tips and tricks for you guys on the horizon. Whoop, whoop. So uh, now, now that we are um, officially kicked off with this this uh, episode, we have to dive to the most important concept or concept question rather. <laughs> what are you drinking, dude? So uh, this year, um, well, this uh, week, right? We've kind of decided to get on this uh, Dave Ramsey budget, right? And we're kind of figuring out where all of our money goes, things like that. And so Dave is once again balling on a budget. And as I was walking through the liquor store the other day, I, uh, I, you ever seen those, what is it? Those Boda boxes, like the, the wine in a box. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So this, uh, the other day I was looking and in the liquor store, they had a black box with whiskey. So it was a 1.75 liter black box of whiskey for 24, I think 24.99. So I said, uh, "How do you do?" And you're coming home with me. <laughs> <laughs> and I have decided to make an old-fashioned tonight with it. And honestly, it's not that bad. I mean, it's not the best thing I've ever drank. I'm not going to say that, but it is definitely good for a Super Bowl sipper. Or, you know, <laughs> through the week. And, I mean, that's uh, it's pretty good. And if I can be kind of snooty about it, I'm pairing it with one of my favorite cigars. Um, well, Drew Estate makes some of my favorite cigars. And this week I got an Acid uh, 1400. I don't know anything about that brand, but 1400 makes it sound good. So <laughs> I'm going to take your word for it. It's pretty tasty. What about you? What do you got over there? Man, I am uh, trying to, you know, since I 
stayed local this past week. I'm trying to kick it off and stick with some local bears. Uh, so there's this brewery here called Fatheads. Uh, well, it's close to here, rather. It's, uh, I'm about 40 minutes from the border of Ohio. It is uh, brewed in Middlesburg Heights, Ohio. Um, and it is uh, their headhunter, Indian Pale Ale. Uh, it's a good good beer, man. It's, it's uh, decently strong for IPA. It's about a 7.5% alcohol. It's got an 87 on the IBU. It um, It's an award-winning beer. So in 2012 and 2014, uh, it won both the silver award for um, the American style Indian pale ale, oh. both those world, world beer cups. Nice. Uh, pretty interesting there. And then in 2010, it won the silver medal. And in 2011, it won the bronze medal again for American style IPAs at the great American beer festival. It is a, it's a pretty tasty beer. Heck yeah. It sounds pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll definitely have to send you some in. It's, it's dry hopped. It's the West Coast style IPA. It's it's uh, got that, you know, the citrus flavors coming through a little bit of the grapefruit, which I've been digging on grapefruit pretty pretty recently. Um, I don't know, man. It's a very it's very a good flavor beer. profile with an IPA. I like it a good is. citrusy IPA. Yeah, yeah. It uh, you get the right hops in there. It really uh, um, lends it lends itself to the flavor very nicely. So I'm about uh, two in there. You know, I was uh, drinking and eating a bunch of uh, appetizers watching the, the game mm-hmm. about halftime right now. Um, we're probably wrapping up about halftime right now. And, uh, you know, I was just like, you know what? I can probably drink three more of these. So uh, <laughs> here we are. Heck yeah. <laughs> yeah. What do you guys do for Super Bowl? Uh, do you guys do like anything fancy? What do you guys go out and do? Uh, you know, we used to do that a lot when we were in Indiana. And so much anymore, it's just been sitting at home we got the game on you know put it on surround sound um i got some wings uh we got some like barbecue for me and adrian and then regular flavored for the kids and then uh i got some chips and we're gonna make some guac Uh, i think we're gonna make some uh banana muffins later but just kind of hanging out together and watching it uh i'd really i think next year i'd like to go to the vfw or something like that and watch the game i think that'd be pretty cool yeah i bet that'd be pretty cool my brother is a bartender at the VFW, uh, something like that. I don't know. One of the VFWs. Heck yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He likes hanging out there. Um, it's a good spot. Really didn't serve. Yeah, but cool enough. Um, yeah, man, we do every year. We do the same thing. We uh, we make a bunch of uh, appetizers that we want, and we just uh, stuff our face until we can't stuff anymore. So this this year, my wife did like some kind of crispy breaded shrimp thing. I don't know. It was good. Oh, nice. Um, it had butter in it. You can't eat it. <laughs> <laughs> All the good stuff um, does. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Bacon wrap dates. Um, you know, chips and guac, obviously. Uh, bagel bites. We're in Pittsburgh, man. So uh, pierogies are everywhere. Oh, pierogies. Yeah. Oh, I miss yeah, pierogies. Yeah, yeah. So, so we had some pierogies. We had, dude, we had a we had a spread, man. Literally, dude. I, I probably had like 8,000 calories and just like, you know, junk appetizers. <laughs> That's the best, though. And those little <sighs> smokies. Little smokies. Oh, yeah, yeah. We did we did a pigs in a blanket with little smokies. Nice. Those are yeah, the best. Yeah. yeah, yeah, man. Fun times, fun times. All right, man. So uh, this is this is the Super Bowl. So uh, let's talk about the the super product here. Let's yes. talk about Revit. Um, 
So I got some notes here, man. Just like I did last week with uh, the AutoCAD episode, I kind of went on like a little fact-finding mission, and I was just looking at you know some of the the historical information, um, and, and I you know I had like a good sense of um, you know a little bit of the history of Revit because we got a, a mutual friend here, a colleague that uh, was on board with Autodesk at the time, and mm-hmm. um, you know uh, <laughs> at the time he was thinking you know man, this Revit stuff's going to take off. And then all of a sudden an acquisition happened and he's, he's been on team Revit just about ever since. Um, so I've, you know, I've kind of, you know, heard some of the older stories from him. Um, but I, I mean, there's a lot that I didn't know, dude, there's, there's a whole bunch. Like, I mean, obviously I knew it was, you know, Revit technology corp, mm-hmm. uh, or Revit technologies rather. I never knew they were Char- you know, Charles river technologies. I never knew that, uh, they had, um, uh, other, uh, presidents of other companies that were competitive products sit on their board. Um, I don't know, man, just a lot of uh, crazy stuff. Uh, so in 1997, they were Charles Revit technology, Charles river technologies, um, out of Massachusetts, uh, mild stomping grounds. Um, they were renamed Revit technology corp in 2000 In 2002. So just two years later, they were acquired by Autodesk. Um, I think I read somewhere it was about 144 million. I could be wrong. Again, guys, don't quote us on statistics. Um, <laughs> and, uh, oh, I, uh, so I got three trivia questions for you. One, um, do you know where the name Revit came from? So I know what it stands for, yes. Okay, what is that? What does it stand and for? It's Revise Instantly. Oh, man, see, I didn't even, uh, you know, I just thought, hey, you're doing it so fast, it's Revit, you know, Revit, like, Revise instantly, obviously, but I didn't. I wasn't thinking. I was thinking like, you know, the your car, right? You're revving it, like it's it's happening really mm-hmm. fast. I don't know where I was going with that. But, no, dude. You know, um, it, it's funny because it fits so perfectly. I, when I talk in my classes, when anybody is making the introduction, like jump into Revit, it makes so much sense because as you you look at Revit and everything, as everything changes, the model itself, not only the model, but the parameters themselves, the schedules, everything updates because of the like that change engine that's inside of Revit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I I was just thinking, I was like, man, revving, like, does that stand for something that I'm just stupid about? Uh, <laughs> that's what it's doing to your computer just, when you yeah, try to yeah. render it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, thank God for cloud rendering. Oh, yes. Um, uh, So next, this is actually your kind of, you should, you might know this. I mean, you're a structures guy. Um, So do you know when Revit Structure uh, came out? So Revit Structure, yeah, it was actually right around 2005 was when we started seeing Revit Structure being brought in. You're two for two. Two for two, man. Two for two, dude. All right. All right. Okay. So in 2005, you're correct. They had Revit structure, so it was like uh, Let me Revit. ask you one, though. All right, go right ahead. When was the first release of MEP? Well, it was the next year. It was, right? it was 2006, man. Oh, <laughs> I only know that because I, I, uh, this is all part of my research, so that's good. Um, that was too easy. That was too easy. Yeah. All, right. all right, so I have a question for you, Joe. What year um, did they actually bring everything together in Revit? So I remember this uh, like it was yesterday because I uh, I was on um, a support team at the time and 
fielding a lot of questions around this stuff. Um, so this all happened in 2013. It was actually the same yes. year they were Revit LT as well. Yeah. Um, yep. And this is all about the time that Revit really started taking off. I mean, Revit started doing a lot of great stuff, um, but there was all these segregations, right? You had uh, Revit Building, which was renamed to Revit Architecture. Um, so 2005, Structure, 2006, MEP. 2013, it was all just one product, which really made sense, right? Especially uh, with what follows, right? Which is Project Skyscraper, 2014. For those of you that you don't know, Project Skyscraper was the... Um, beta name given to uh, collaboration for Revit, which has now been 360 design. So, uh, and for those of you guys who don't even know what any of that stuff is, uh, cloud sharing um, your model essentially, uh, so others can interact with it. So essentially hosting it on a uh, FTP site, if you will, that is communicating the deltas between, <clears throat> between everybody that's interacting with it and syncing uh, every time somebody logs in all those changes and updating and refreshing their cache and all that stuff. A lot more techie than that, um, obviously, but um, that was really like one of the first game changers, I think, that really made Revit just the de facto um, software for, for this, uh, for our industry rather here in the U.S. Yeah, I would definitely say so. Now, I would say like the 2018, 2019 versions for structure have been really awesome, even, even with MEP, um, the big, you know, kind of focus is going on those two with, um, you know, I, I'm a structural guy. So the connections and the fabrication, being able to specify your welds, creating new connections, the bolt patterns, everything like that. But, you know, yeah. I, I want to say a big bump on the timeline of Revit, I, I do believe is going to be this 2020 release um, with Dynamo being built into Revit, being released with Revit, and actually just being integrated with things like propagate connections. I mean, there you're starting to see that generative design through Dynamo being pumped into Revit and released with it. I, I think that's going to be very key in us moving forward with this. So, um, are you are you referring to now that Dynamo is actually installed with revit like it's no longer a separate install like yeah it's, it's not a standalone it's it's installed with it and i mean with it, it's and it's kind of deeper than that i mean it, it's you know that dynamo has been being adjusted i guess into revit's kind of code but kind of here and there but i mean you're really seeing it with things like i want to say that propagate connections and because it's really looking for let's say if I, I i specify a beam to beam and i wanted a c to beam to connection or you know, <clears throat> excuse me, um, anything like that. And I just highlight it and I say propagate connection. And it's going to go through and read any light conditions in that in that view that I'm in to go ahead and place that connection. So it's a big push into generative design. I, I, and I think that with that, as we continue to develop more and more scripts that we can see them being integrated into what we do with Revit. Like it's, it's just yeah. going to come into it. Yeah. And we, we know generative design is a big issue for Autodesk. It's a, it's a big um, uh, thing on their, on their uh, horizon, something that they're pushing very uh, heavily we see at all the conferences, uh, you know, the webcasts, webinars, that sort of stuff. Um, and it's really, it's an interesting thing. I fought it for, for so long. I was just like, Oh, you still need somebody to stamp and you can't replace people, but it's not about replacing people. Honestly, nope. 
it's about giving uh, different options and making things just mm -hmm. a little bit easier and you still control the parameters. Yep. It's just about making difficult, tedious jobs uh, more streamlined. That's really what it's about yep. and, and I'm a big fan of that. I feel um, it's enabling people. Really, I do. I mean, you don't know what you don't know. And let's say that yeah. you got a 10,000 square foot lot and you have a, you know, 4,000 square foot building and you want to have, you know, this much space and, and these kind of rooms. If you can put in those type of parameters and have it automatically generate and give you different, like, let's say design options that you can flip through like your wall joins. I mean, that's pretty amazing. Like, man, I didn't even think about that layout. That's actually really good. Yeah, no, um, and I agree wholeheartedly, right? Uh, so you're, um, we always design in one way, and then you see somebody design something else, and you're like, oh my god, I didn't even think to do that. Well, mm -hmm. imagine now there's an algorithm that's constantly doing that because you've given it the the parameters and the confines to work within, and it's just seeking all the different iterations that are possible. It's pretty cool. It's interesting to see. It's interesting to see the the negative, the positive comes out of it, the changes that happen. I think this is going to be a really interesting time here. Uh, uh, very soon. In fact, I know quite a few people that are already jumped on this train. So, um, and I can't wait to interview them because honestly, I feel like an idiot when I talk about BIM. I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm like the kindergartner. Like, you know, you start. I can sing the ABC songs, but I, yeah. I can't spell yet. Yep. <laughs> that's that's uh that's how I feel, man. Or um, <laughs> I guess I shouldn't say kindergarten. My daughter was freaking, you know, uh, doing all that stuff in kindergarten, um, preschooler rather. Oh man, like just, we're apprentices in the BIM force. That's what we are. Yeah, yeah that's it, man. We are <laughs> just to geek we, it out we, a little more. We got an idea of what's going on, but we really don't have an idea of what's going on. It's pretty, no, pretty crazy. There's so much um, out there that we don't know, you know. And that's, I mean, that's the beautiful thing about it, right? Uh, one of my goals in life is to continuously learn, is to just keep learning every day, you know, every every chance that I can. And with this technology, it offers me that opportunity all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So on that generative design front, though, I know a few things that are coming down the pipe. Um, you know, uh, fabrication services are going to go to the cloud eventually. All this stuff's going to happen in the cloud. And what it's going to do, it's going to give us a database essentially to access from anywhere to get our, you know, generative design to kind of, you know, get get everything pumping. Rather, uh, so we're not sitting on a stagnant old um, server that has, you know, 30 plus years of, of you know, ITM services, all that stuff in there that haven't really been customized or updated to fit what we want to do with Revit and Dynamo and all that stuff. So um, I, I don't know. I foresee, you know, that being part of it at some point in time, too. Yep. But I'd obviously, love to see, it's got to be. I'd honestly love to see some type of templating pushed up. I mean, if I'm honest, you know, as we start collecting more information about templates, about what people are doing on typical projects, how they've succeeded, how they've failed, and combining yeah. that into a library of, you know, hey, you start here for this type of project, it's going to take, it, it can save you this much time. Yeah, yeah. And and so um, figuring out where to start from for a template for all that stuff, but also uh, what I'm thinking when you said template, I was thinking of like maybe a framework for how the data has got to be structured yes. for generative design to consume. And the reason is because 80% of, and quote me on this if you want, I don't care, 80% of all like uh, data science is data cleanup. You know, that 20% is that advanced stuff. Everything else is just trying to figure out how to, you know, put this data in a framework that you can actually use and then you store everything else off in a data lake somewhere that you can access that raw data at some other point in time. 
But as we all start moving towards uh, generative design or a little bit of predictive analytics or AI or whatever, there's got to be a template framework rather yep. set in place so that it knows what each parameter is that it's analyzing. And that way you could analy- analyze across, across multiple plat- platforms and uh, we could use generative design. The reason why I say this is I'm getting to a point here. Um, when we're talking about Revit, we're talking about in cloud hosted models, we're talking about multi, multiple multi-discipline uh, modeling, essentially. You've got your mechanical, electrical, piping, structure, architecture, you've got your, your fire protection. You've got all these people coming together in one model. Uh, couple that, you've got a, a civil file in there, all that stuff. As we start looking at um, uh, generative design, uh, we want it to be able to recognize and analyze across all those subdisciplines as well as the architecture, but there has to be a framework for the way the data is laid. I think this is really, you know, key to, you know, the families you use, the way everything gets set up, uh, templates, the parameters, you know, every, the attributes, everything has to be, um, uh, have a framework for the way that this is set up. And this is going to get into further deeper conversations, I'm sure, as we talk about <laughs> yeah. standards and all that stuff. But, uh, <laughs> As we do, this is just this is just me going off on a tangent and, and thinking that, you know, at some point in time, we, we are going to have to template this. We are going to have to come up with that framework, as you say. Um, but uh, getting back to a point you made earlier, you were talking about 2020 being a very particular year uh, or very special year for a particular reason. Uh, I just want to point out that Revit has been coming along wonderfully these past few years. Uh, you, you're in the structural mind. I'm in the mechanical and piping mind. Um, and, and the reason why... Uh, you know, there are so many issues when you talk about uh, detailing in Revit and, um, yep. oh, I got to remake all these Revit families. I got to make these Revit families, uh, even though I had all this stuff as .ITMs or, you know, all this stuff in my fab- fabrication database um, that, you know, I can't reuse uh, or I can't spool out of Revit, blah, 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 like all this stuff. Well, now we're getting to the point where, like, you know, most of that's done. Like, I can I can bring in those .ITMs. Uh, there are tools out there that a lot of me bring in multiple uh, MAJ files. I can um, uh, uh, run spooling on both .itm and Revit families. Like it all does all this stuff at one time, uh, so I don't have to go in between. Like Revit's come a long way, and then the third-party tools that are sitting on top of Revit have made life a lot easier. Speaking about Vic Tools, Cisco, um, and you know, big shout out to Britton Langdon at M Suite, big fan. Um, those tools, like they make um, uh, Revit like worked tremendously for the MEP side, for particularly the MEP side. Um, so, so as we get to, you know, you were talking about uh, structure and the stuff that's coming out of it. I, you know, I really see that as a mirroring of two products. I mean, there was a, a great product uh, in this acquisition um, called Vance Steel, still a great product, great standalone product, and I know you dabble in that quite a bit. Um, I start to see a lot of that functionality come over to Revit now in these past well, two years, maybe. Definitely, dude. I mean, I, as I'm kind of bouncing back and forth, I'm trying to see, you know, what is still an advanced steel that we have yet to bring into Revit. You know, the advanced detailing really with 2020, you saw an improvement. They're bringing in more of the advanced steel engine kind of with the advanced detailing and t- dimensioning and tagging of steel elements. Um, the improved multi rebar annotations, you know, freeform rebar in Revit, just automating rebar placement, allowing it to follow a path, you know, things like that, um, giving the rebar improved logic so it understands that as you copy and move it, as you snap it around, 
if I'm going to take it from you know one concrete column, if I'm caging it to another, um, it's going to snap to that. Even if I have it, you know, going into like a footing or something, it's going to understand it needs to stop because it's constrained by that specific element and not be all weird and kind of skewing out into the open or going out into another um, element, right? Or even snapping to a different concrete face because um, we do have those. Um, I want to say the cover in Revit is what it's called. You're kind of spacing from the uh, outside face of your concrete element, how deep you're going to bury your rebar. It's understanding this logic. And I think as we get deeper into that, it, it's only going to get better. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And as you're talking about rebar, this made me you know, think about the next part of this, right? You know, who's using Revit, right? Um, a lot of people are thinking, oh, it's not a tool for me or, you know, it hasn't really – you know, uh, um, you know, spearheaded into my my um, my geography or my industry or you know firms of our size don't use that. I just got to tell you, um, you know, not everybody has to buy off on Revit, right? The smaller guy that that's just fine doing AutoCAD. Um, you know, you've got a niche project uh, type. Uh, you do it really well, and you're thinking to yourself, oh yeah, we wouldn't be able to benefit anything out of Revit. And I'm, I'm here to tell you. Uh, I got, uh, you know, probably hundreds, if not thousands of people that I've chatted with that, that will beg to differ. It is truly uh, uh, game changing in its capabilities. Yes, it is. You know, we're going to talk about cost of adoption in a minute and it's not, you know, it's not easy. I'll tell you that, especially if you come from a CAD background. Yep. Uh, so who uses it, right? Um, uh, architects, obviously, everybody, when you think of Revit, um, a lot of people when I talk, you know, talk to you about uh, Revit, they're like, "Oh, you mean that architect tool where they make the pretty models?" And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, I do, <laughs> but I also mean the tool that the GC is using to pull that architectural uh, information in, so they have the, uh, you know, the the geometry of the the building, so that they can start modeling their uh, concrete and then, uh, you know, do their pour schedule from it all in Revit." And they're like, "Oh, wait, what? People, other people use this?" I'm like, "Yeah." So they're the architects. The engineers, and you, you know, speak to this really well, structural engineers, load analysis, all that fun stuff. That's your background. Um, uh, are you doing much with Rev with robot these days? You know, yes, actually, I've been I've been getting more into robot and this integration with advanced steel and this whole structural workflow. Into I really want to get into the deep down stuff where. You know, if I'm placing, let's say, an air handling unit on my roof and it's, you know, two ton, it's two and a half ton. What kind of load is that going to place on on the beams that I've actually placed there? You know, I'll have to do like an area load of how big this thing's going to be, figure out how much it's going to weigh, put that stress along with all the other, you know, load cases on my beams, send that out to robot to make sure that, you know, the deflection of my beams is not going to be outside of what I need it to be. And then if we're, we're actually going to phase out this building, right, if, if they have more that's going to be added on to this building, I want to be able to design this for future use, but allow them to grow within that space too, right? We want to allow for expansion. So we want to design for that as well. If you can put in all those attributes and send that into robot, you know, pulling that back into Revit, detailing everything. If you need to send it out to a fab shop, a CNC lathe, anything like that, you can send that out to Advanced Steel. Detail it out if you really need to. Push information back into Revit from there. You know, Advanced Steel sheet creation engine is very very cool and the bill of materials you know we're starting to see again that that integration into Revit so it's it's getting there more and more and that that workflow I I think is is very very useful yeah yeah I, I agree man 
And for those of you guys that aren't familiar, Robot, uh, Robot is a um, kind of cloud uh, analysis tool. Um, plugs into a lot of different pro programs, but uh, Robot Structural Analysis uh, for, for engineers, this is uh, what, what we're talking about here. Um, it, it, um, I, I, I don't know how many people are using this because I'm not on the structural side, but I got to say, man, like the stuff that I've seen is, is pretty damn cool that it does. It is very um, awesome, and I don't I don't see the usage there yet. You know, I do see some bigger firms, and I see some structural engineering firms that are using robot, and it's great, and and understanding that workflow. But it takes time to learn it, right? And it's yeah, like, yeah. It, it just really does. Yeah, and as you're talking about structural analysis, I mean that's a hard thing for an engineer to uh, put their faith in a a software that they hadn't used before. So yep. I, I imagine there's there's a, a, lo a longer adoption period when it comes to products like that. Um, well, well, that said, um, you know, not just structural engineers, mechanical engineers, uh, electrical, piping, uh, mm -hmm. uh, general contractors, as I mentioned earlier, you know, if you're yep. self-performing concrete, chances are they've got a BIM department, not mm -hmm. just doing uh, a clash detection coordination, but also uh, modeling their um, concrete and, like I said earlier, uh, doing their pour schedules. Because uh, here's an important point about Revit. You know, we think about 3D geometry and everybody's like, oh, yeah, Revit's a 3D tool. Actually, Revit is a 4D tool. Um, and technically, we can even make it a 5D tool if we want to. Um, uh, we, I mean, we could add cost to everything. We can, mm -hmm. um, you know, make this a, a time time. You know, a tool you mentioned phasing earlier. Uh, it, it it's a pretty powerful tool that uh, kind of gets you know while it's touted on this pedestal, it also kind of gets a lot of flack as being a you know a 3D picture maker. But it, it's so much more than that. It's so much more than that. It is. Uh, you know, one I was kind of surprised. Um, and you actually worked with uh, a firm that that did it with me when I kind of first started. But landscape architecture, you know, we're starting to see more of that come into Revit as well. As you know, we're yes, we're seeing the integrations between Civil that's been there for a little while. It's getting better and better, um, bringing in topo surfaces, things like that. But building retaining walls and understanding the stresses of the actual grade of the surface itself and and the um, I want to say the loads that it's going to put on on that let's say that that wall whatever whatever it is that you're building around you can understand how these surfaces are going to affect how your different load cases are going to affect it and kind of design to that uh, it just it we're we're seeing that varied usage kind of increase more and more yeah i agree wholeheartedly man um we're seeing this kind of take off a lot uh so facilities management Companies are starting to uh, uh, adapt it and bring it in. Yes. There's, there's kind of a, you know, I was mentioning earlier about uh, uh, data cleanup. Um, <laughs> this goes hand in hand with facilities management. Um, everybody thinks that, you know, you kick out this Revit model at the end and, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, facilities team should be able to use that. Well, <laughs> they can't. I mean, they could they can navigate around a model. Um, they can do some stuff there. They can use it for space management later on. Uh, well, whether that's space planning department, that might be part of the facilities management roles, maybe not. Um, but the facilities management team, uh, in order to get it into their FM system, their Maxima or wh whatever they're using, 
um, they need uh, a fair bit of cleanup. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, I told you this in the past that there's this uh, a few people that I've chatted with about this very topic that have expressed tremendous interest to being on the podcast. I think that this is one that we're gonna have to dive into at some point in time. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, honestly, I think this is one we could do a whole episode over um, just talking about the usage there where we see it going. I mean, the more that we get into it on it, I, I could dive deep into it because it's one of the one of the workflows that I'm really most excited about in Revit um, because, of course, we want to take this data. We want to hand it over. Right. But we want to make it smart data. And just as we talk about, I mean, we've already had this on, on our podcast a, a few podcasts ago where I talked about maintenance. Right. You're doing maintenance on the building itself, but having, let's say, a smart building to where you have sensors inside of your different units and uh, and maybe even sensors in your ducting, sensors in your pipes, things like that to understand the flow, um, telling you when things are going wrong and have an automated system that can tell you, hey, you're coming up on this maintenance point. You're coming up on, oh, this is throwing an error here, and it can direct you inside of your full building where to go and where your issue is. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's all about getting the those definitions up front, right? So if the owner is looking at employing something like that, um, then you know you on the on the uh, you know design side need to know what ele- information is relevant so that you can put that information in the model, and you, you know, and then the FM teams and uh, those uh, space management teams later on can actually interact with that data and the sensor data and find a way for them to cohesively uh, benefit and be effective. Uh, and I, I've had the privilege of, of working and being in long discussions with a, a few people up in the, uh, the Seattle area that have a, a knack for this. They've got a little niche. Um, they do great stuff, great stuff, but it's all about like managing the, the uh, you know, building sensors to adjust uh, cooling and lighting and, you know, whatever to make it, the, the building is comfortable for employees as well as reducing costs. Um, it's just a, you know, great things come out of this that we don't even really think about. Um, and, and all that kind of, you know, it's got to start with a model. It's got to start with, um, uh, you know, a model with defined spaces essentially so that they can, uh, and, and, you know, the way that the heating and cooling systems are set up and all that's like, all this stuff has to be on the forethought and Revit really uh, makes this shine there. It does. It really does. Um, you just sent me a text message, and this makes sense. Um, yeah, you know, I was L-O-D. thinking about it as you were saying it. I didn't want to forget it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, we got to do an episode over LOD, right? I mean, we really need to do an episode over so many things. We're still early into this uh, experiment here, um, and there's so much we want to do and so much lined up. It just seems like we're not cranking out – in my mind, we're not cranking out episodes. Like, if I, if I could, you know – if I could, uh, uh, you know, control time <laughs> and our schedules, <laughs> I'd say, man, we, we do this three times a week. Oh, yeah. Um, start creating so a lot of content because then we'd get to the, the stuff that we're, we're seeing because we're, we're, we're like uh, we're like kids uh, in, a, in a candy store, man. Um, you know, I got a, a Tootsie Roll in my hand and I'm content with this Tootsie Roll and I'm enjoying this Tootsie Roll. Like I'm enjoying this episode. But uh, I'm always thinking like, oh, man, next week we're going to do this. This is going to be so cool. Like, <laughs> oh, and the week after that, we can just like, ah, man. So so uh, um, I'm, I'm excited for, for this going. And and um, I just got to say, I feel very passionately about this. And I know you do. So um, I'm looking forward to cranking these out. I am too, man. I am too. And it's always, 
you know, I'm getting around having these different conversations. It was just a couple of weeks ago I was in Tacoma and I actually had this conversation with someone. How how do we figure out what the LOD expectations are? How do we get that in contract and wording? You know, how do we understand what they need down the road for things like FM? One of my favorite things is owners saying, I need some of that BIM stuff. <laughs> yeah, if you want some of that BIM stuff. Uh, I use this story far too often, but there is um, there is a – I don't want to single them out even as their, their industry. They're, they're an owner. Let's just say they're a building owner. Um, they uh, specified BIM on a project, place flooded. Um, oh, they were like, oh, that's great. We've got models backed up, you know, destroyed O&M, all that stuff, uh, manuals that were stored in, in that area. Um, and uh, fortunately for them, uh, they, you know, at least for they thought is that, oh, you know, this is all in our Revit model. We've got this, this <laughs> BIM model. We can figure it out. Uh, the BIM model was literally just uh, geometry. I'd say probably LOD 200, maybe LOD 250 at best. Um, and it was, you know, it had none of the information in the model. Uh, and it was kind of like, well, you, you didn't specify what, you know, what, what level of BIM you wanted and this is what you paid for. So this is what yep. you get sort of thing. Yep. Uh, they're, they're much more strict now. Now they have full BIM team consultants specifying, uh, every, you know, LOD and item and like everything like they break this down, you know, lesson learned, I should say, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, a lot more uh, strict about this. But as you were saying, though, uh, you got to set that expectation. It's got to be in a contract somewhere. And it's got to be defined between all parties, right? So, um, you know, architecture's like, yeah, we don't need to model the heck out of this closet door. That seems like a waste of time. There's such thing as evil BIM. And if you guys do a quick Google search on uh, – Evil BIM under images, you'll find the most hilarious memes. They are so great uh, when it, pertaining to Evil BIM. I don't know. Have you have you done anything into Evil BIM yet? Yeah, I've looked quite a bit into Evil BIM because I mean, of course, it it has its ups and its downs. And yeah, if yeah. Not used correctly, it can really mess you up. Yeah, everybody thinks, oh yeah, we'll get into that BIM stuff. That's great. Um, well. Uh, don't just think that, you know, you're going to go in there and model everything and be, you know, great. You're going to make a 400-pound model when really all that's needed is the 50-pound model, um, you know, 25-pound model with 25 pounds worth of uh, uh, additional information put in there. Not everything modeled uh, to LOD 500 fabrication level. Like nobody's, nobody's doing that. Like nobody needs to be doing that. Um, like, you know, I say nobody, you know, there, I'm sure there's some nuclear facility out there that, that needs LOD 500, but, um, uh, your, your house does not need a LOD 500. What are your thoughts on, uh, high, uh, BIM bloat? No, I was saying, yes, I, I do. Um, I, I, f I feel that a hundred percent because even with, as you're saying, a residential design, the home builder who's going to get those plans really just needs to know the layout. They're going to look at the soil bearing reports, you know, things like that to, to figure out exactly how they're going to place it, what they're going to do with the sizings of the footings, things like that. And there are times that you can over model it. You're going to put too much data into it and, and really just, I want to say over constrain, right? And, and, and that's never good. That's never good. Yeah. But it's really in that contract, in that talk, 
where you're figuring out what that level of detail that you need for this job where and and it's figuring out every aspect like okay yes you're going to have the owner and the designers okay well what about the facilities management team what about you know if, whether it's going to be the building management what it's going to be or the different mechanical engineers things like that to start building on this to know what they need in their drawings what they need in their designs to finish their projects and then it go into handover and what's going to be beneficial for everyone and figuring out okay that information is great but we don't need it we don't need that our field teams are going to do that 100 percent um and and uh so I, I don't know man i think the the next thing that we should really uh talk about here is um the cost of adoption yep and yep. Uh, you know like like the other programs you know there's pl plenty of stuff out there right it's not a it's not a newer product although there are new enhancements continuously being made um that said, um, the cost of adoption, eh, you know, the, I'll say the, the learning curve might be, um, you know, a little bit steeper. And the reason why I say that is because if you come from a CAD background, you know, you're going to be fighting. This isn't the way CAD does it. I, you know, I know how to do this in CAD. This isn't the way it does it. Um, but uh, it, it does it in a, in a way that's specific to Revit that um, uh, you might not be familiar with and it's going to be hard to unlearn those uh, specific traits and um, workflows that you're familiar with and those, let's just be honest, bad habits. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Revit is a different beast. It behaves differently. Um, we talk about AutoCAD. We're moving lines, uh, arc circles, unless you're talking about uh, working with blocks or the uh, – uh, the ribbons with the, you know, the Autodesk, um, arc, you know, um, architecture, AutoCAD architecture, AutoCAD, uh, map, AutoCAD electrical, all those sort of stuff that has the, the pallets, um, pre-populated with, with objects for you to model with Revit behaves differently. Um, so think about this. If I, I know you know this, but I'm speaking to the audience here. Um, if I move a, if I model a wall in Revit, literally, I just click the wall button draw a wall on you know, whatever level I'm on. Um, and then I, you know, go and place a door. I place a door in that wall. If I move that door, the wall automatically heals itself uh, as I move that door. So it's just not just a hole where that door was. It automatically fills in as I grab that uh, door or wall or door or window or whatever it is and just drag it down the wall. Uh, the wall's filling in wherever it is and just taking that door information and moving it to wherever I select. So uh, yep. pretty interesting in, in that, that regard. Revit is so a whole parametric building modeling program. It really it's is. It's very dynamic. It is. Yes. Yeah. Um, so in um, uh, uh, Revit though, um, there's something that, 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 you know, you might be thinking about, right? So we talk about the cost of adoption. It's really hard to measure this. And, the reason why I, I say it's hard to measure it because there's a few factors. Uh, the upfront cost to learn a product, a new product, especially something that is uh, as rigid yet customizable as the way Revit behaves in its in its processes, um, you you gain all that on the back end. Yep. Um, so you know, three projects in, four projects in, you're going to be singing. Like it's just going to 
it's just going to whiz so much faster than had you, you know, have you, had you started those projects in AutoCAD. So, you know, I say, yeah. you know, three projects in every project after that is, is, is a, is a net gain. Um, uh, and I'm just, you know, BS and rough numbers here. I don't know yeah. how long these projects are. I don't know how intense or whatever, but just say three small projects in three small buildings. in. um, after that, you've, you've probably made up your time, um, and, and you're more efficient in Revit than you were in AutoCAD. And there's this, this great, um, uh, you know, diagram out there, it's called the McLeany curve. Um, and, and if you think about, uh, traditional design, right. If I, um, I make all my design, uh, upfront, right. But as I get later on in the project, changes start to happen. Um, I kind of got to scrap a lot of that drawing and it cost me even more time later on in that project to kind of do all the reworkings with Revit. I stick with that one model and I just make update changes to that model because again, if I, if I have to move that door or if I have to move that wall, everything that's constrained to that wall is going to move. So if I had doors and windows and everything on that wall, as I move that wall, everything that's on that wall is going to move. Um, it, it just makes life a lot easier. It's so much faster in that regard. So the, the cost of change later on in the project is very insignificant uh, when compared to traditional design uh, workflows or tools, I guess, rather. Dude, I would definitely agree. And I mean, one of the biggest things I see, one of the biggest points is once you get past templates, templating is the biggest thing. Oh in my Revit. gosh. Yeah. It's it, dude. It's, it's templating your views. Um, not even just your views, your schedules, how they're laid out with your sheets, how the views are on your sheets, what family, like typical families you're going to use, things like that. All of that stuff. Once you can build that and have it loaded into your model, things go so much faster. And, one of the biggest yeah. points, I mean, you're talking about when you're going from CAD to Revit. Pain point is CAD, you can design anything you want, any way you want it. Revit, it has parameters, so it doesn't like every single thing that you do. Now, it's getting better and it's getting smarter and it's allowing for more adaptation, things like that. But it's understanding how Revit works, right? But if you well, flip that's that, exactly it. Yeah. the time like that it saves you going from CAD to Revit, not having to redesign views everything every time something changes. When I do a section cut, it literally cuts through the entire model of whatever you know I draw that section through. Everything is already there. I'm not redrawing it with different lines and bringing in blocks and things like that and not having to change it. As you said earlier, when I change something, it actually reflects in the model everywhere else in that model and it affects everything around it. So it saves us so much time. Yeah, yeah, and and that's really where Revit shines. Uh, I've helped uh, many a firm adopt Revit in the past, uh, and it was literally just by showing them. Like, we have all the ROI data; it's out there. Uh, showing the uh, the costs of um, uh, traditional, you know, CAD, AutoCAD based workflows. Um, on specific projects, right? Think of complex projects, like a healthcare project or something like that, um, versus uh, doing it in Revit. The cost savings, I think, was like two to one, or, or time savings, rather, was like two to one uh, modeling time in Revit. Like, once you have those templates, as you said, in place, like, you know, life just is a little bit easier. So, in, in AutoCAD, it's kind of no different, right? So, if we talk about AutoCAD uh, or AutoCAD based products, you've got um, you've got your standard templates, the way you want stuff to come in. You've got your, you know, the way you want it to plot. You've got, you've got all of that stuff. Well, Revit has the similar stuff, you know, similar, um, 
line weights, um, fonts, you know, not too editable, but um, uh, there's a lot of other things to think about. I mean, it gets earlier, even better, dude, when you start talking about like publishing the sheets that have actually changed, publishing information, oh. not not just what you want. Well, it is what you want to share, specifying what everybody else is going to see. Yeah, it just, yeah. So, it's crazy. So um, your view templates, your working views, um, uh, like there's so much stuff that goes into that. And then once you have a library of families that you use on specific types of projects, you know, think about pre-populating that type of content. Mm -hmm. um, and then say if you're, you know, uh, a subcontractor, right? Um, color coding your, your service lines, uh, letting you know the different gauge of wire, you know, by color coding it or the, you know, that this is a sanitary, sanitary line or something like having all that stuff set up in your yep. visibility graphics. Like there's so much stuff that we can do ahead of time uh, to make the program so much easier and get the most information out of it. I actually like doing uh, there's a workflow where you uh, uh, color code all of your service lines and then you kick it up to BIM 360 and out in the field, they're able to actually get that information and Hey, maybe they forget what Brown is. Uh, they, you know, click the, click the line and the property information comes out. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, Brown, that's sanitary. That's right. Okay. Um, yep. And, and it's great for installation. It's great for prefabrication. I don't know. There's Revit. I was we talk about BIM. And it, it literally carries downstream. So whatever we put in this, we try to make it as usable further downstream as we can. Uh, again, it doesn't have to be bloat, but uh, if you know how somebody's going to use data or want to use data and making it easy for them to use that, um, you are a BIM god. Like that's, yep. that's it. Yeah. Hands down. That's it, Hands man. Hands down. Yeah. Um, and so uh, getting back to cost of adoption here, um, cost of Revit um, – come down quite a bit over the years, you know, back in the day, the old way of purchasing seats was um, you had to buy, like, say, if I wanted Revit one, I'd have to buy like building design suite. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, they had to pay an upfront, you know, price of like $12,000. Now, um, if, you know, if I wanted that AEC collection, it's about 2,800 bucks a year, 2825, according to uh, the Autodesk website right now. Um, that said, if I just need Revit, uh, it's $2,310 right now. Um, uh, and I mentioned earlier, Revit LT, you know, it's got a lot of functionality stripped out. You know, there's no collaboration, there's no rendering, that sort of stuff. But if you want to model in 3D, you know, it's a great tool for that. That'll run you $430. I mean, the cost of adoption is, is very, uh, uh, very low uh, if you just want to get your toe in there and, you know, see what it's like. Definitely. And I mean, sharing that information is becoming more and more like easy, I want to say. Yeah. Um, you know, yes, if you have the LT version, I would say the, Re the, the Revit viewer or the Autodesk viewer is going to be great for Revit itself. If you can push things up into BIM 360 and, and, you know, push out views through docs or, you know, inviting executives, things like that. Yeah. Uh, was you I was chatting with this week about uh, it was that Autodesk viewer or. Yep. Yep. Um, dude, that is such a cool, um, cool tool. Like I remember like the sheets thing, uh, from a while back and, uh, I hadn't really play, played too much with the, the viewer. Um, that's just a great way to share content. It is. It really is. Um, and, and Revit LT, I mean, it, you know, it's great. Uh, think about interacting and saving your files, um, to BIM 360 or whatever, you know, you can save them up there. I don't know if you can do the collaboration for Revit with it or the no, rather you can't. Design. 
but uh, you could save it to have been through 60 docs, whether you mm-hmm. um, just use the map drive and save to that location, not a big deal. Yeah, I'd be, uh, I, you know, one thing I'd, I should look up is actually to see if you can link with Revit LT, because if you can link with Revit LT, then, then you're good. You can still do the interference check, all that kind of stuff to get the data in there. I don't think you can, honestly. I, I'm, I, you know, I full blown version of Revit here. Uh, yeah, right. uh, I, I don't. It's hard to know the the limitations of the other software um, without going to the matrix and skimming through and and seeing the comparison. But uh, uh, I, I, I can't imagine that feature would be in there. If it is, hey man, more power to Revit LT. Yes, um, you so, can't link Revit LT models to other Revit LT models, and you can link Revit models to Revit LT models. But does this happen in Revit or Revit LT? It says, so you can link Revit LT models to other Revit LT models, and you can also link Revit models to Revit LT. So oh, cool. Well, that so you, okay, be, that makes sense then, because in the uh, you have the link to Revit button up there, and... Mm-hmm. You should be able to do that. It's just the work sharing, cloud sharing aspects, yep. and the uh, um, uh, everybody working off of a you know server or something like that. Like that's not going to be capable. No. Um, all right. I mean, that's. I mean, yeah, you're still gonna like you said, you're still gonna see a little bit of cutoff there from that live versioning, um, and the live changes. You're just gonna have to stay up to it with people emailing you updates, things like that. And you're just going to have to link those models in and determine, is it worth it, you know, to, to link those models into your model, do your interference check, update your models from there, things like that. This is where tools like BIM 360 are freaking amazing. Oh gosh. BIM 360 yeah. coordinate, create your, your folder, upload all your models to that folder. You know, um, every time a full, you know, a model, new model gets uploaded, it's automatically running your clash detections, telling you where things are interacting. And then you can, uh, decide if you want to take an action on it or group it or ignore it, whatever. Um, and on top of that, if you want to see what's changed with somebody else's model, all you got to do is do the uh, version control, a version compare, um, and just see, literally just check between the, the two Revit models. And because Revit is, you know, it's a Revit file, it knows everything, it's got smart data in it, um, it'll do it all in 3D and break it down by discipline and tell you what type of elements have moved, tell you uh, added or modified or moved. Dude, like the... Yep. Uh, we're in the future. <laughs> this is right. Uh, uh, the the days of overlaying information, you know, they're they're still powerful, right? We talk about 2D, we talk about uh, PDFs. The days of overlaying information in CAD and Revit files, that's gone. We don't need a light table. Like we can do this stuff. Um, whether you're doing it through Bluebeam or uh, on PDF side, we can actually do it through BIM 360 on the PDF side as well. Um, but uh, Revit. Uh, if you're working in Revit or AutoCAD files, BIM 360 is phenomenal at catching those changes. It is. It, it's good yeah, at documenting yeah. it. It's good at showing you exactly what it's affecting and what's changing. If I, you know, change this window size, if I again, if I have masonry brick on that face, it's going to tell me how it affects that brick face, you know, what the square footage looks like, things like that. Yep, yep. Uh, pretty interesting stuff there. Uh, I like where... I like to see where it's going too. I mean, it's it's, it's remarkable. Um, so real quick, just checking the the, the game. <laughs> <laughs> checking uh, the format here. Checking the yeah, outline. Yeah, checking <laughs> oh yeah, uh, 49ers are up. Okay. Uh, <laughs> sorry, man. I, I don't have a, a skin in this game. Um, 
but uh, I, I am kind of rooting for, I mean, I love, I love Mahomes. He is a phenomenal quarterback, but I'm rooting for 49ers just so I can yeah. rub it into a uh, uh, coworker's face that a uh, Patriot, you know, beat the, <laughs> beat his team. <laughs> oh, Jimmy G. Oh, Jimmy yeah, G. Yeah, Jimmy G, man. Oh, yeah. man. You know, it, it's, I'm, I'm, you know, being from the West Coast over here, and I, I just, I, I'm picking the 49ers on it. I mean, I like I said, and like you said, Patrick Mahomes is a great quarterback. Dude is phenomenal. But yeah. I got to go with the Bay Area. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm a, I've been following him and, uh, Tyreek for, for the past like two, three seasons. Um, I've, I've picked them, you know, both on my, uh, fantasy teams, all my fantasy teams. I, I try to end up with those guys. They're great players. They've got a, an outstanding team. That said, I just, I just need a, somebody from the Patriots to, to take home a trophy, <laughs> man. Uh, nah, we're going to lose all the, all our listeners, by the way, after this podcast, they're like, Oh, this guy's a Patriots <laughs> Hey, hey, it's not fair weather. I was born in uh, Worcester, Massachusetts. Uh, the only thing I took to Texas with me was my uh, uh, sports teams. Well, actually, I only took the Red Sox with me. The Cowboys made me a Patriots fan, and I think I've told you this story before. Um, I get to Texas. I'm in, like, I don't know, fourth or fifth grade or something, and um, everybody's just obnoxious in your face about the, the Cowboys. And I was a Cowboys fan in Massachusetts. Everybody wanted to be Troy Aikman. Um, that said, as soon as I got there, it was just too much. Like everybody's and I, and I'm an underdog guy. I was like, you know, screw it. I'm going to, I'm going to root for the Patriots. I don't have another team. I'm just going to go for the Patriots. Been rooting for them ever since. Uh, and like, you know, four short years later, five short years later, uh, we were back on top or we were on top. So <laughs> it, it paid out very well, man. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely did. I mean, I, I just, I grew up in the era of Peyton Manning, you know, I grew up in Northwest Indiana and every year it was Peyton Manning close. and the Patriots. His every commercials year. are fucking hilarious. <laughs> that shit is hilarious. Nationwide is on yours. Wait, is it Nationwide? Is that the one <laughs> yes, they do? Yes, yes. <laughs> Nationwide. So oh, man. And when Peyton and Eli get together and do commercials, I almost cry. It's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> Those guys are ridiculous. When Peyton puts oh, on a mustache, it's gonna be a good. It's gonna be a good time. Oh man, yeah. Oh man. Oh All gosh, right. did oh. you see that commercial where they dubbed him a Bears fan? <laughs> they no. where they baptized him in Italian au jus sauce and then pulled him <laughs> out, and he was a Bear fan. <laughs> oh man, I'm googling this right now. Oh, uh, it was amazing. Oh, it was amazing. Oh. What was this? Was this like SNL? I think it was. I think it was, yeah. Because they had, um, gosh, who did they have? A couple of guys oh. from Chi- the announcers from the Chicago yeah. Bears. Yeah. I think, right? Uh... Oh, man, I'm going to have to check this out. After the yeah, podcast. Bears. It's uh, Peyton Manning Bears Baptism. Oh, I love that he's uh, taking an Ajou bath. That is hilarious. Dude, it is amazing. Oh, <laughs> oh man. That was – talk about, like, great skits. Like, that was one of the best SNL skits of all times. Who'd win in a, in a, uh, in a fight? Ditka or Tornado? Mm, is the Tornado named Ditka? 
No. <laughs> it's like, wait, what? Oh, that's great. Great, great skits, man. Uh, Chris Farley. Ah, anyways, man. Ah, getting back to it, I guess. Uh, it's hard to recover after something like that. Right. That, that was ah, great tangent. Um, training. We mentioned it earlier. Cost of adoption, right? So uh, training, number one. Software, you know, fixed price, essentially. You got 430 for LT, 2310 for uh, Revit. Uh, my mind, spend the extra 500 bucks, get a uh, seat of AEC collections. That way you can uh, utilize things like um, uh, Robot. You can utilize, uh, you know, AutoCAD for those projects that still require AutoCAD. Uh, Recap, um, for those of you guys that can do anything with scans or drones. Um, big fan of Recap. Oh, my oh God, dude. Yeah, holy, dude, the topic of, for the next episode, yeah, now this works, man. Like, if you are in the uh, uh, post-design phase, uh, subcontractor, you live in Navisworks, so um, might as well get, uh, you know, bang for your buck here, spend the extra 500 bucks, because it's going to cost you more than that to get Revit and Navisworks. Um, anyways, so 2825 AEC collections, current price right now on the Autodesk website. Uh, that said, go through your resellers. Yes. Uh, yep. Uh, training. So training is everywhere. Again, something your resellers can help you out with. Um, training is everywhere for Revit. Uh, there's great, great content by Paul Aubin. Uh, the Mastering Revit book series is great. Um, I don't think they've put out a new one in a while, but uh, uh, there's a lot of great content out there. But yeah, there is. I, I've got on, a lot of books on my on desk about it too. Um, Mastering Revit Architecture 2020, the Black Book of Revit, um, Revit for Interior Design. It, there's so much. There's so much content out there for it. Black Book of Revit. Sorry, dude. I'm googling, man. You said Black Book of Revit. Sounds yep. sounds like something to eat. It 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 is a fantastic book to read through. It really is. Um, there, and there's so many different platforms, whether, you know, you're looking at global e-learning, you're looking at LinkedIn, um, so many different things to, if you want online content or you want to, you want to go in place and, and do a three or four day class. I mean, there's so much training, so much, so much training out there and, and, and content to help you, um, get better and better your processes within Revit. Yeah. And Revit is one of those ones where, you're going to drink from a fire hose for if you take a public class, right? You're going to drink from fire oh, hose for yeah. three days. Um, you're going to go back to the office. You're like, oh, my God, what did I just learn? But you're going to start moving around. You're going to move some walls. You're going to figure some stuff out. You'll learn about systems. And then you're just going to come back. And Revit, to me, so having, having been somebody that's gone from GIS uh, to the field through AutoCAD, Civil, uh, and then into Revit, like I just got to say out of all those, uh, outside of GIS, the one that I was most interested to learn, the one that like I just couldn't consume enough information about was Revit. Like I, I love the way the program works. It's got a clean, um, uh, easy to use interface for just doing basic stuff, but you can get as complex as you want. Uh, you're talking about Dynamo scripting later or earlier, sorry. Um, like there's amazing stuff. Uh, and, and I feel like uh, a novice, like there's so much more that I've got to learn. They're just, I, consume as much as I can. Yeah. Right, man. And I mean, it, it just keeps going and going. Revit is like a, a black hole almost that you can just keep getting sucked in more and yep. more. Yep. Yep. And so, I mean, you're, as you like adopt Revit and you go through, 
uh, BIM execution plans, you're going to set up your own standards and all that stuff. As you're going through all this, you're going to realize that uh, it's everything in this program is constantly evolving, not just the functionality, but the way you interact with the program is evolving. evolving. Um, uh, as you progress, you maybe want to do things differently, right? Um, your templates, again, uh, you know, living documents, they, they're not static. You don't just design them once and then you use them forever. Um, you're going to constantly be updating those. And if you guys ever need any help for Revit templates, reach out to David on LinkedIn. That's uh, at David Campbell on LinkedIn. Uh, he'll he'll uh, be a good resource for you guys there. Uh, in-program tutorials. Uh, so the Autodesk products have great in-program tutorials. Just, you know, navigating the interface, basic stuff. Um, you know, what buttons, you know, do what? Uh, what is it supposed to do? It's all great. Uh, it's To me, it's always better to see somebody uh, do it all at once, right? So, yeah, you can learn the way that the features and functionality works like the buttons do. Um, but when you see somebody teaching you uh, through it all and then at the end of the class, they just bring it all together and they say, oh, yeah, and then you do this and this and now you've got a model here. And they're like, oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah, dude. I love those aha moments. I oh, love it's it. great. Ah, oh, sorry, man. I've been rambling. Um, no, you're good. Do you have any thoughts on uh, training? I'm sure you do, Mr. Uh, certified Revit instructor there, guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Revit training is very um, fundamental. I mean, in, in varied usage for the program as you get deeper into it. There's essentials trainings. There's level two trainings. There's advanced family training. There, there's so much out there that we know – even, even template, even with consulting and things like that, it, it, just reach out. It, it, that's one of the biggest things. Reach out and let everyone know, hey, I'm here and I want to get here. How do I and, do and, that? And if you were very good at AutoCAD, you might be fighting it like, oh, I don't want to learn new program. I have these you know, great library of dynamic blocks and I do my own list routines and blah, 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 blah. Think about this. As good as you are with AutoCAD, you could be 10 times better with Revit. Yep. Uh, and what I mean is, you know, learning a new program, remember how how much you dove in at the beginning of learning AutoCAD. You're going to have that same experience or same same love for diving into Revit and then some. Uh, and then you're going to realize that so much more is actually possible. Um, maybe not in, you know, having the freeform abilities that AutoCAD does, but having um, – uh, the sheer time savings and the customizations that you can put into uh, family creation, nested families and all that great nested, nested families. Mm -hmm. like, I've seen um, uh, people model um, cranes with uh, so many moving components and just uh, ladder sizes were scalable, like just crazy stuff, like uh, um, all inside of a Revit family. Like there's, there's so much that, that we can do with it. So as much as you geek out over AutoCAD, I promise you, you'll geek out twice as hard over Revit, um, and and over time you're gonna you're gonna take it to. And I'm throwing this out there, man. I, I believe ten times you'll be ten times more powerful in Revit than you were in AutoCAD. Reach. If you have that, if you have, if you have that same level of a um, commitment that you had in AutoCAD, you you'll you'll take it further in Revit. I promise you. Uh, I've run into, I've had the privilege of sitting next to phenomenal people on planes and just striking up conversations to find out like. Uh, that they are comp computational uh, programmers uh, for Revit. They're just writing script after script after script with Dynamo, um, making Revit sing and do crazy. Like I'm, I'm blown away by uh, how fast um, 
this program's taken off. And I say how fast, right? So uh, Autodesk acquired Revit in 2002. Revit didn't really become a standard to what, you know, 10 years later, mm-hmm. 10 years later. Uh, so in the past, like, so in 10 years, it became a standard. And then the 10 years uh, since then, uh, or seven years since then, rather, um, it's continued to make improvements so that it can be more all-inclusive to other disciplines, other traits, so everybody can work in this uh, monolithic model. Uh, so we're all working at, in one um, one design space. So it makes project types like IPD possible, um, where we're working all more closely. You know, uh, we're still doing design while the concrete's getting poured. It's crazy. Like um, a lot of great um, functionalities come out of this. Um, so I. You know, we, we, we stress enough, like, the importance of Revit, and we're, you know, preaching like it's on a pedestal, but it's very easy to do, adopt in small increments, and it's stuff that um, there's people out there that can help with. Again, reach out to David Campbell uh, or myself, and, and we can uh, steer you down some, some directions. Uh, collaborating capabilities, uh, quick modeling, sheet creation, right? So um, I design in 3D, I set up my views and my sheets, and therefore everything gets automatically updated based off that model. Uh, interference checking it's built in so we talked about collaboration well coordination uh, or clash detection rather uh, is built into revit um, do you ever use the uh, the clash to the interference check uh, tool inside of um, revit yeah, oh yeah definitely i mean if you're linking together different models let's say you're linking together a mechanical model and a structural i want to make sure there's no pipes that are running through my columns or my beams, you know, so I want to run that interference check to make sure that everybody's on their P's and Q's. 100%, 100%. Are there any other benefits that you were, maybe I had missed? There are so many benefits of it. I could go on for days. I mean, you're you're linking, you're collaborating, you're doing interference check, uh, it's scheduling for you, allowing you to connect that with Something like if you're kicking it out into Excel, you can push it out to Excel or what? What is that? Power BI. Um, oh yeah, there's another tangent for us. <laughs> yeah, right. There, there are so yeah. many things that you can go on, even with the add-ins that you're going to see with Revit. Um, being able to design, let's say, if I want to put in um, bar joists, being able to take from Volcraft or any any specific manufacturer and and bring their add-in into Revit and have all of their as-manufactured products that I can go ahead, even even um, Weyerhaeuser, if I'm specifying their joists or their beams, anything like that, I can bring it in and it's going to be as designed. So when I'm placing my loads, everything like that, again, I'm going back structure, <laughs> but <laughs> as I'm going around doing everything, it knows, right? And the power of that, I think, is, is awesome. And let's say... Uh, Shout out to BIM Object, right? If you can go into BIM Object and pull all of those families and have that information in your model, it's very, very valuable. Yeah, and so speaking out at BIM, you know, shout out to BIM Object. Uh, so BIM Object used to be, um, uh, I always Autodesk Seek. Seek, that's what it was. Yep, Seek. It was yes. Seek. Yep. Yep. Um, uh, now it's BIM object. It's not not an Autodesk uh, product now, um, but it does have a uh, big tie into all the Autodesk stuff, right? So as we talk about families, right? Uh, so getting into the functions of of uh, and the components of Revit, um, 
In AutoCAD, we had blocks. In Revit, we have families. A family is essentially an object or a component that we want to place, um, but that, that object or component can be as smart or dumb as we want. If I wanted to draw a, a chair, I could just model a box and say, there's my chair. Or I can make that chair as defined as I want. That's, this is where we get into concepts of uh, LOD. Um, well, we can get families from manufacturers uh, or these third-party sites like BIM Object that have all of the, you know, have a, a robust library of families essentially from the uh, manufacturer of the product. And then usually they're very heavy. You know, they've got all kinds of geometry information showing every kind of bend and sweep and mm -hmm. a higher level of development than we may need. But sometimes maybe that's a crucial component, right? So if we've got an air handling unit, maybe I want, you know, that exact uh, thing taking up the space so I can, uh, um, you know, see how it fits and all that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. um, if you want to take it a step further, man, I mean, we, we start talking about, let's say, modular construction, right? And I'm actually oh, creating gosh. assemblies and, and placing them. And, and as I'm going through lining everything up, I mean, it, it just makes sense. It really does. Yep, yep. So those uh, third-party sites, uh, great for giving you components. Uh, those components... Um, they make your Revit model more or less. Um, and then you take, like you were saying earlier, you take it a step further and you make assemblies. Uh, assemblies allow us to show essentially um, a unit, right? Mm -hmm. So I can create an assembly for uh, a run of pipe rather. Um, and I can make it grab the, uh, the, um, uh, you know, the T or, or whatever mm -hmm. the, uh, connector is. Um, and you know how it connects and I can say okay well this is an assembly and you know if theoretically if you have your template set up we can spool and put those on sheets but uh, uh, we actually have great tools out there that automate that stuff but yep. assemblies become really important as we talk about modular construction and prefabrication because they show the way things get constructed we are grouping elements in a certain space uh, as a system, rather, mm -hmm. um, maybe not a system because that's probably too big well, to think it, about. It but. groups it together in, in, in more than just a, a Revit group, right? An assembly is definitely separate. It puts it in its own space and allows you to go ahead and place that element, that grouping, that assembly on sheets showing different like elevations, floor plan views, things like that of that specific element as it groups it together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you can... Uh, um, essentially uh, quantify, like create bill of materials. You can um, uh, classify the stuff in there. Like there's there's so much that goes into that that uh, we get out of on the fabrication side, right? So mm -hmm. we can actually make this per this without actually having to, you know, you know, strip down the model and figure out this thing. Somebody can create this assembly and slap it on a sheet for me. Yep. All right, man. Um, so assemblies actually wasn't even something I put on my list. So that's a, that was a great cover. Um, we talked about Clash a little bit. Uh, we talked about collaboration. So um, we talked about cloud collaboration a little bit, but um, you technically don't need the cloud to collaborate if everybody's in the same office. Mm -hmm. um, Using I the like same type of uh, the same year of Revit. Yeah, yeah, man. I like collaborating more on the cloud because I think it gives you better. 
um, uh, model management tools. And it's starting to become the best practice um, for sharing information uh, and collaborating. So even if you are in the same office, maybe you might see some benefits out of going to the cloud. But that said, you don't have to, right? You can, you know, drop a file on a server and uh, everybody work off of it. Save a, a local cache to your, your computer. And kind of like what we do with uh, all the other stuff, communicate the deltas between uh, the, the model and, and our local cache, mm-hmm. essentially. And you know another another great workflow I like about I mean if you're collaborating you're working in our office as you're going around modeling you're you're adjusting things if anyone comes into that model if any of your other teammates are working on that with you and they happen to come into the region where you're working it's going to go ahead and shoot a message to them and let them know hey uh, this person has control of this area do you want to ask them permission to go ahead and move this. Yeah, sure. I'll go ahead and ask him permission. And that person, therefore, then has the, the the rights to say, yeah, I accept it. Go ahead and let him do this. Or, no, I'm working in this. And that's allowing not only for, I would say, a, a process of understanding, you know, I'm working here. Go ahead and, you know, go out somewhere else. But it's also saying, I don't want to do rework, right? I'm already taking care of this. Let's go ahead and you just keep working, doing your thing. And I've already done this. Hundred percent, man. Um, so we, we talked about central models. We talked about the cloud. We talked about clash. We talked about families assemblies. Um, we talked about modular. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Navis switchback. Have you done anything with that yet? I mean, I've done I've done a little bit here and there with with linking in Navis models uh, in terms of just clash detection, but I don't I don't think I've pushed it much farther than that. Yeah, I mean, I didn't do too much of it. I've done a few demos and uh, maybe a webcast somewhere. Um, but I think it's very powerful when you want to bring in um, Navis stuff. I mean, typically I would use, um, like if I was getting data from somewhere else, I would just link it in, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Navisworks allows us to consume so many more file formats that we can't really consume with Revit unless somebody exports a saves to an ISC or whatever. Uh, but Navisworks is, is the great aggregator, and we'll talk about this in our next episode. Um, so I can definitely see how using Navisworks to get that information into Revit makes sense um, so that we can, we can uh, use that just because Navisworks is, uh, works with so many more file formats. Yep, yep. All right. Um, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I mean, right there, we're adding into more of the, the value for Revit with all of the integrations that it has, the add-ins that it has. You're seeing it grow more and more so we can further adopt the usability of it. Bro, man, I, I just got to gotta tell you something, man. So uh, we were spoiled on the West Coast. Uh, say West Coast, Pacific Northwest. We, we're segregated from the West Coast. We're, we stand out because we have better beer. <laughs> So uh, I'm just going to say specifically the Pacific Northwest. Um, we were very, um, very spoiled, not just in beer and amazing food. And I've talked about some areas I visit and the town I live in. It's not Pittsburgh proper, but uh, I'm kind of in a food desert for restaurants. And I'm jealous of the Pacific Northwest at times, getting amazing Thai food. And uh, uh, Anyways, what I'm saying is um, – uh, Revit was widely adopted there. Mm-hmm. We had firms buying uh, buying other firms in other parts of the country just because 
you know, they were, you know, they know Revit, but maybe the firm wasn't doing so well, but they wanted to retain all that Revit knowledge. So they would buy that firm so they could have all the Revit people or they were hiring people from other countries or other parts of the country and allowing them to uh, co-locate work remotely, that sort of stuff. Um, and it's all possible because of Revit and, uh, and the cloud rather. Um, but in the Northwest, we were very spoiled in the fact that Revit was everywhere. We couldn't turn around without uh, a home builder actually wanting to get into Revit. Like everybody wanted to use Revit um, and everybody for the most part was, was using Revit in some form um, or trying to at least rather. Um, that said, I, you know, I've been touring the country quite a bit lately and uh, I get around and I got to say, like, you know, I, I go to uh, a lot of the bigger cities on the you know, further East Coast and I'm singling out anybody. Uh, <coughs> Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I got to say, man, the, the level of adoption isn't there. Like I'm oh. thinking like Chicago is, is a, in my mind, the, you know, I put Chicago on a pedestal when I think about Portland, Oregon. You know, um, I think of it as like a real city. Portland's kind of like a small, a large town, small city. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's got that vibe, which is why I liked it. Uh, but Chicago, I figured everybody there would be doing Revit, and it just wasn't so. And then, you know, as I get into Pittsburgh, or you know, six months ago, you know, I know a lot of firms out here are using Revit, but more often than not, I encounter firms that aren't using Revit. That said, like there's a big wave that's sweeping. Like we've got a lot of big projects coming up. There are so many multi-billion dollar projects in the works. There's some great projects out there. Uh, you should Google the uh, Crystal Lagoons Esplanada uh, here in Pittsburgh. Um, I'm butchering that word, Esplanada, Esplanda. I, I don't know how to say it. I'm going to say Esplanada and hope that, uh, you know, I don't get a lot of flack. But um, it is a beautiful project. It's like $800 million. Um, you know, it's kind of got its own lagoon. It's got Ferris wheel, a lot of hotels, a lot of touristy stuff, just beautiful area uh, over uh, what's not necessarily a beautiful area today. I mean, it's a cool area. Don't get me wrong. I actually like that whole North shore of Pittsburgh, but as you move uh, further um, West, as it bends up, um, starts to get a little more industrial, um, but it's a great area. So anyways, we got a lot of great projects coming on, but anyways, my point is over the past few weeks, I have been, you know, talking to so many firms about BIM and Revit and just construction technology overall and get occasional job offers from from time to time. I've gotten like three or four in the past uh, three or four weeks, man. It's been pretty crazy, but every one of them has been uh, Revit and it's been a firm that is adopting or is wanting to adopt. So it just makes me think that we're on the cusp of something like there are so many more firms at this point in time wanting to get into Revit. And I know a lot more firms right now that I'm talking to that are adopting Revit as we speak um, or adopting BIM in some form, not just particularly Revit. Um, I just I start, I'm starting to see this wave, man. I think I think we're I think uh, Pittsburgh's due for a BIM revolution, man. Yep. You know, it's funny, but I grew, I grew up in northwest Indiana and um I, you know, we talked about it last week, but I, I was teaching CAD certification courses and I was a Revit draftsman. I loved Revit. 100%, I would rather use Revit than CAD. But I found it harder to find a job as a Revit draftsman than I did as a CAD draftsman. It actually took me moving out to the West Coast 
to really be enabled to do whatever I kind of wanted to do, what I wanted to learn with Revit, because it's everywhere, right? So it, it was just harder at that time to find anybody that was using it at this scale. Now you're starting to see it kind of sweep across the country, the East Coast, the West Coast. We've been you know, using Revit for a long time. And it, I think it's kind of starting to meet in the middle part of the country where we're seeing that adoption of Revit starting to spread. I remember you coming out too. So I remember that interview. I remember that line afterwards. And I'm just thinking, this guy, are we really going to hire this guy? He doesn't know <laughs> shit. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> like, oh, I can't wait to get him on our team. No, no. And, and uh, um, ever since then, I'm like, you know, Dude, you 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 are spearheading a lot of stuff. Like, you are always inquisitive, and uh, I'm happy. I'm happy you made a jump, dude. Made that that leap of faith to come out to the to the best coast. I mean, west coast. <laughs> you know, I I am very happy that I've made the jump. It's allowed me to learn so much because what they're doing here on the west coast in terms of workflows, even just utilizing Revit and utilizing BIM in general, the thought processes here are just so much more forward than they are dude, in other places of the country. Dude. So I, I mean, it, it, part of that goes hand in hand with who the owners are. Right. So it's not because the firms are, you know, not stepping on anybody here, but it's not because the firms are so, um, so progressive in the way that they run their businesses. I mean, they, they're phenomenal customers, phenomenal businesses. Don't get me wrong. Um, it's because somebody's doing a great job at communicating to those owners and those owners have a lot of money <laughs> and then usually it's tech. There's a lot of tech there. And so they're interested in, in developing that. So, it, it, I mean, I won't say it's not, it's not the firms. It, it's probably a, a combination of the firms pushing the conversation and owners buying off on it. Um, which is not something that I guess has happened too much in other parts of the country. But as I talk to firms here, you know, all the way from the East coast to the Midwest, um, we start talking about stuff and they're always bringing up the West coast as, yeah, they're bleeding edge out there. And I'm like, actually there were, this was probably bleeding edge, you know, five years ago, but you know, five years ago, this was bleeding edge, but four years ago, it was leading edge three years ago. It was commonplace. And you know, now I'd say you're probably behind yep. in most aspects. Like it's, it's uh, pretty crazy. Um, but you know, uh, it's going to catch on at some point everywhere. I mean, that's just the way, the way it works. Uh, you imagine, um, you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, uh, people are still, uh, hand drafting everything. You know, people start talking about CAD and technology and all that stuff. And, oh yeah, yeah. Um, uh, that stuff will never take off. We'll never do that. will never switch. And then, you know, you always get those laggards, you know, the ones that are, while this is 20 years implemented, they're still like, Oh, and it's not, it's not going to stick around forever. And they're still hand drafting. But uh, eventually, eventually they either go out of business mm -hmm. or make the transition. Yep. And I, I think Revit is one of those, um, one of those points in our uh, Revit is one of those crucial tools in our everyday life in the AEC industry that the, if you're doing design uh, in any capacity for the AEC industries uh, on a commercial scale, at some point in time, it's going to be if you're not using Revit, you're you're probably not winning uh, 
a good chance, you know, some jobs here. Like you're, you're missing out on a lot of opportunity by not doing Revit. Um, and really, if you just think about it, Revit is a different tool to do the same job you've always done, but it allows you to do it more effectively, efficiently, allows you to actually provide a deliverable that your owner can actually consume uh, in their FM systems if they've had them set up and all that sort of stuff. Not typically so with CAD. We could just bring in um, our you know, floor plans and mess around with them, but, but that was just the extent of it. Yep. Sorry, end of a long tangent. Now i got to take a long <laughs> swig of a beer. <laughs> no, I, I, I think you're right, man. And it, it, we'll, we'll see where it goes, and I think it's going to continue to expand, and, and the adoption will continue to grow. We'll see. I'm with you, man. Oh, Kansas City's up. Dude, I saw that. 24 to 20 now, but San Fran has the ball with a minute 56 left, so yeah. I'm, I'm excited to see that. Yeah, we'll see what happens, man. All right, so uh, you want to recap this real quick? Yeah, I mean, so so we talked about, you know, the history of Revit and where it's kind of started as revised instantly, you know, where it's going, who uses it with the AEC industry, FM, um, building planning, um, modular construction, landscape architects, and then we kind of gone through the different uh, functions and workflows, the benefits of using of Revit, you know, linking, collaboration. Um, we're seeing a lot of increased adoption of different users. And I, I think that uh, the more that we see with this and, and the increase of Dynamo and, and generative design as we push forward, I, I really feel like this is going to Man, I, I don't know. I don't want to get overly excited, but I really am. I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes, right? It, it's well, going to change. Me, me too, me too. So um, as we uh, exit out of this week, uh, next week we're talking about Navisworks. It's going to be a big big shift because the past few weeks we've been talking about Revit and BIM and we've been thinking – and AutoCAD, rather. We've been thinking about it from a design perspective. Uh, next week we're going to be thinking about it strictly from a consumption uh, perspective, um, Navisworks is not a design creation tool, no. so uh, tune in next week as we talk about um, uh, you know another uh, champion in the industry, I should say, uh, Navisworks. Yep, yep. Stay tuned for another episode of Brewing with BIM. Brewing with BIM. All right. <laughs>